This is Big Man Tyrone, and you're about to watch the MTG Cabal cast with your hosts, Wode, Thirsty, and Reptar. Sub to us on all your podcast networks at MTG Cabal cast and YouTube. All right, guys, welcome to the newest episode of the Cabal cast post Mono Arena meta edition number yes. whatever this is. Uh, so, speaking of Mono Arena and how things are shifting away from digital or shifting towards digital away from paper, that's kind of our topic this week: how we handle spoiler season. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to take two different viewpoints here on how we're handling it—a more traditional, and then how you handle it when you know there are going to be supply issues going forward. Uh, Wizards released that announcement where they said, "Hey, there's delays in products. We know that there's some delay in the amount of product getting out, mm-hmm. and that that is going to affect." pretty much the entire year of sets. So basically just as vendors, personally, whatever, how we handle spoilers. Uh, So for me, I've been taking a a fairly lax approach to it. I haven't been hawking spoilers as rigorously as I usually have, but that's because I've been able to kind of change my methods. And one of the biggest things I did was actually uh, call my sphere of influence to basically just two... Uh, big pieces or big pillars and the first one is um, like Watsy level pros and high level Star City, uh, Star City Games competitors um, and high level eternal format players or specialists yeah. and that's given me a much better look into what's going on in given formats the Watsy level and Star City competitors, um, those high level pro players are able to take care of the standard format essentially you're anything that's being pushed by either one of those entities and yeah. i can wait a little bit on moving in on any kind of spec until they've kind of really fleshed things out they're the people that i trust to do the legwork and say these are the cards that are at rate these are the cards that are above rate this is going to change the meta now and this is going to be something we're going to look at in the meta in september after rotation yeah. And that, that's been huge. Before, it was just kind of like a, a deluge of everything, and I, I had to do the legwork. And I got lucky a few times, uh, no, most notably pre-orders for humans in uh, Shadows over Innistrad, where, wherever Thalia's lieutenant was. I basically pre-ordered yeah. all the good humans and immediately sold them back to that same vendor for, like, an easy trip. Yeah. But that, that was pure luck. I, I was trusting these people much better. And on top of that, but to a lesser degree, uh, a handful of dedicated personalities. So um, that would be something like Saffron Olive or Frank Karsten, where these people have their own dedicated brand and niche for what they do. And they're going to go deeper on tech that might go unnoticed at the beginning. And they might take what seems to be seemingly unplayable cards and trophy them or take them on a decent winning streak in arena frank carson not so much but he's the kind of person that i think still does for channel fireball the like here are the top five combos in standard that involve eight cards yeah that kind of uh, stuff. it's interesting mr saffron olive because he even as spoilers were coming out for jumpstart there were a couple that he said you know this may be in against the odds or in core 21 this mm-hmm. is like a potential against the odds card. Yep. So it's you know worth noting that you mentioned paying attention to him, and he'll even tell you ahead of time, like, you know, here's I'm calling my shot on this card. Yes. And the card typically doesn't react until it's on stream. 
So you have a little bit of leeway there, and that's worth paying attention to that type of personality for that reason. Yeah, he's also been uh, soliciting decks from the public, too, to look for some crazy, interesting yeah. things to play and just have a good time with. And even from there, like that's what I mean. The, he has that brand, that niche that he's working, the niche that he's working within. And yeah. by f including him in the sphere of influence that I have, it gives me insight into you know, what's going on. And at another point I'll, I'll make later into something that I've done. Uh, it's just kind of fantastically lined up well with the, the pandemic that I, yeah. I got this all done ahead of time. And so I've been much more open to that. Yeah. So it, it just pure happenstance that, that this worked out well for me. I'm able to pay a little more attention during the day. Now that I'm not at work, there's not a, like in the office there's not yeah. a ton of shoulder tapping i can pull up a tweet deck on one monitor <laughs> and just look at hashtags float by and things like that but yeah. that initial calling was was huge i uh it's for me it's it's similar i have the sphere of influence and like people that i pay attention to and one of them is like the cedh guys mm -hmm. uh and then honestly it's awful and it's drumming through a cesspool, but REDH, that subreddit is full of information and it's just a the task of getting through the chaff and getting to what's real. Yeah. And then honestly, vendors are another one. You know, I what cards do they see that they're like, all right, well I'm selling a ton of this card on pre order. All right, great. So that's a card I'm gonna target the Friday of release when it's a race to the bottom on TCG player. Uh, you know, when Aether Revolt came out, I got disallows for a dollar a piece. And they were $10 by the end of the weekend. So it's basically about paying attention to that. And one of the reasons, you know, EDH is important is obviously casuals drive the market. Yep. And as both of us have harped on for the past few episodes, it's pretty much the only format that seems to be quarantine proof. Because people are still playing on webcams, on the Play EDH Discord, and everything else. So there's still an active paper scene for that despite the fact that there's no paper magic. Yes. And so, you know, like, one thing I always target is red enchantments with too much text. Sarkin's unsealing, your day will come. Uh, there's that and, triple damage one now in Jumpstart, yeah. right? Yep. Uh, just stuff like that that, you know, you, you can kind of see the signs ahead of time, and they're like, all right, well, this is spoiled. And the nice thing about EDH is once a card's spoiled, a lot of times playgroups are okay with you playing with it as long as you intend to buy the cards. Yeah. So you can actually get some testing information from the Play EDH Discord, from hmm. Play EDH, or EDH Rec, all that stuff. Yeah. And that's that's kind of where I've called mine more towards, is trying to, at least especially like now, when that scene is actively thriving, mm -hmm. trying to pay attention to those personalities in that metagame for like, all right, well, what am I going to target from Jumpstart, from Core 21? Yep. And, that's yeah yeah i think there's an interesting digression here where uh core 21 and jumpstart we know uh so there will be supply chain issues for this yeah so and even uh c20 because we yeah. haven't received some places i think uh, i heard that canada received the second wave yet to the best of my yeah. knowledge us has not received or maybe not everybody has received second wave yet so yeah. if you're looking to pick up cards early versus spec, this is something that you need to take into account when you're looking at these products. What's yeah. going to be shortchanged, in essence, for 
you know weeks or months as there are supply yeah. chain issues what will hold a false price because of that and is it better to move into singles or sealed based on entertainment value of the product uh longevity of the product in terms of uh, sales because watsi has not said how long jumpstart will be on shelves whether it's going to be yeah. mystery booster style or not and then actual prices of cards contained within based on uh assumed rarity ev yeah and, and i i think that's going to be one of the talking points for the whole year is what's happening supply-wise because we did have months of what should have been active production on Ikoria on Core 21. And based on the release schedule, because we get Core 21 and then three weeks later it's Jumpstart. Jumpstart. Yeah. So presumably it affected Jumpstart as well. Yeah. Uh, and that's that's going to be a talking point for a while. Yeah. I don't, we don't know if the, the printers they use have gone back into production yeah right so it, it i assume we're not going to be quote-unquote dry after the fall or going into the fall but it might just be limited release over time it's a constant theme and um it, this isn't something that i've really taken into consideration when looking at cards to pick up or either for spec purposes or play purposes i kind of yeah. created this barrier around it i've insulated that idea because this is the paradigm the paradigm we're in now it might not be the paradigm we will be in in uh, 2021 and yeah. as it goes I don't sit on sealed uh, and the specking that I do is generally pretty light uh, like large quantity low price stuff so yeah. I'm not too worried about supply chain it does allow me to churn some of those cards a lot f uh, faster because yeah. there's you know the supply just isn't there but it hasn't really affected me that much. Yeah. So, um, one of the other uh, big things that I've had to, to really actually start doing with Jumpstart less uh, core 2021 is just to become more open-minded when it comes to fresh eyes on cards. So, the card Emil the Blessed was spoiled in jumpstart it is in the unicorn deck and you basically can pay three to exile another creature you control return it to its uh to the battlefield or yeah. whenever a creature enters you can pay a hybrid <clears throat> green white if and if you do you put a plus one plus one counter on it well the card workhorse has been a card since oh geez exodus so yeah. 96 or something like that um and this is a card that has rocketed up in value. It was an absolute chaff rare, because and yep. it got fresh eyes. So people thought, well, are you going to buy into horses? This has been an or unicorns, what have you. This is an eroded horse. It makes it can make quote unquote uh, infinite mana with a meal. But the problem is, this has been a card that makes infinite mana for over eight years. Yeah. And when a meal was spoiled, and I first found out that people were going to combo this thing and it just rocketed up my thought why why Micaeus the unhallowed has text on it this is when a creature you control or non-human creature you control yeah. without undying dies it comes back with a plus one plus one counter just a two card infinite mono combo for colorless in mono black you can combo yep. workups any number of ways and because i was very narrow-minded it's just like 
It passed by me. I didn't understand it. I still don't agree with it, but I just have to be a little more open to casual market drivers. And another good example, and I think this this one's to me a lot better, is in Jumpstart in the mill deck, because obviously there's going to be something dumb in mill. Uh, Bruvac, the Grandiloquent. If an opponent would mill one or more cards, they mill twice that many cards instead. And I, I read this card, and I set it aside yeah. because I thought it was like weird with... Uh, the way it would work, and a lot of people were waiting on Eli Shifflin to get back to them, i.e., like, the rules codex. They yeah. asked, if you cast the card Traumatize with this in play, does it work the way we expect it to when your opponent mills out your their library? And Eli replied, yes, it will mill out the, the entire library, but based on the way the math works, if there's an odd number, they'll be left with one card. If it's even, it, yeah. it's all gone. It's the whole thing. It's the yeah. whole thing, right? So Traumatize has been in a bunch of sets, and it's been in... One, two, three, four, five core sets, and the original printing was Odyssey. Onslaught? Odyssey, Odyssey close. Yeah. The block right before, right? Yeah. Um, I know what one you're thinking. You're thinking of the black one. That was in yeah. Onslaught. But instead of Traumatize really uh, popping, what popped instead is Fleet Swallower. A rare from Ixalan that does the exact same thing as Traumatize. But it's a dude. Yeah, it costs seven. It's a six-six, and it's a fish. It's they'll go together. They will go in the same EDH deck one hundred percent. And I get this, and I understand it, and I I like this more than Workhorse. I like yeah. Bruvac pumping up big grandiose spells like this, and yeah. being more open-minded about Workhorse is something I. Just need to do on the whole. So, change in attitude I, also came with the spoiler season. Yeah, and I think that's something that, especially as vendors, it's really important to constantly reevaluate re because as the game evolves, as you know, I mean, ten years ago, EDH was fine, but it wasn't nearly the financial driver that it is today. Mm -hmm. And it's important that you are amenable to recognizing those changes and to saying, like, okay, yeah, no, I, I get it. This is something that is foreign to me, but it makes sense in the context. Yes. So it, I'll acknowledge that it exists. Yep. And it used to be, you know, kitchen table players were, I, they were kind of the financial driver in that, you know, they would buy your bulk. But back in the days of the early Star City circuit, you know, everyone was playing competitive and that was where the money was. Mm -hmm. And this is a prime example of how that's changed over time. And that it's important to constantly reevaluate what you assume is going to be correct yeah. in the meta. Yeah, I think it also comes, speaking of the vendor perspective, it's also important to understand that when you're looking at something like this and I sit down and I'm, now I know Workhorse has a value and I'm going to have to pick that card up, right? Or if I, if I didn't and I skipped over it and somebody pointed it out, I would check it out. And yeah. I... You know, since I started buying, I understood that I had to kind of separate my emotions for what's in the binder and my feelings on individual what have yous from yeah. what's happening in front of me with the person. So I'll buy that workhorse happily, and that yeah. will be part of that transaction. But I will, and I'll turn around and bring that card back to uh, our sorter, and just that's where I'll I'll dump that emotion. Yeah, and there and are people that don't and it works and there are people that don't and it doesn't and that's yeah. also fairly important too is to as a vendor remind yourself or somebody who's working with a vendor that they should remain agnostic based on that 
essentially what you're yeah. saying and understanding that a card has value because there are people playing it and you can't just shit on somebody's favorite theme because you think it's it too is. casual. Yeah. <laughs> I, yes, but with people you know. Oh, I'm worse with people I know. Sorry, everyone I know. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, and I, I think that is important, especially, you know, as... Spoiler season has evolved. I mean, if, for those of you that were around Rankard Elf back in the days of MTG Salvation, spoilers was huge. Mm. And speculating on spoiler season back then was night and day yeah. to what it is now. I mean, now, weeks ahead of time, we have whole set. Great. I have perfect information on what's in this set, and I don't have to guess anymore. Yeah, and, and there's a better aggregate tool as well with Mythic Spoiler now. Instead of having to wait for somebody to kind of coalesce all the various yeah. data points and webs individual websites, things were going up on. It's it's definitely much much better. Yeah, um, and I I think it's very important that as that changes, we change our assumptions, yes. which kind of touches on my point how I've changed things supply wise. Uh, so for me, for spoiler season, what I'm doing now, knowing there are supply issues, is I've identified my like five or six cards out of core twenty one, with one of which was a peak pick last week and jumpstart so i'm like okay i i know there's going to be supply issues mm -hmm. these are the things that i think are the most surefire can't miss hits and rather than go a little bit wider i'm basically just targeting those few cards and going much deeper than i typically would uh, because when supply is an issue i might not be able to get such a wide net mm -hmm. but if i go after one or two cards i can probably go pretty deep mm -hmm. comparatively especially in a local market where you know right now stores might not be spending as much money on picking stuff up because they're just opening up and they've got to get their feet back under them basically yeah reality of the lgs life is that you're pretty hand to mouth mm -hmm. most of the time so collection buys may not be something you can dump twenty thousand dollars a week on like you could if you're a gp member mm -hmm. The other note there is supply-wise, speaking of GP vendors, there's no GPs. So people that may have just stockpiled cards and gone to a GP and dumped to a vendor are probably selling them on TCG Player or Facebook now. Yep. And that means more competition in a single marketplace, which means cheaper prices. So because of that, I've shifted to a more deep-than-wide model, uh, which typically in spoiler season I didn't do. I went a little bit wider because I wasn't quite as sure because, yeah, there's all the information out there from, like, your EDH people and from vendors and pros and everything, but there are millions of casual players out there that don't have that voice. Mm -hmm. So I might be a little bit less sure, but now, like like I said last week, Grim Tutor, not a chance it fails. That card's yep. insane. I will absolutely pick up as many as I can for $30 or less. Yep. Uh, uh, there's definitely a card from M21 that I'm going to go pretty tall on. When I get around to yeah. it, I just, it, we're in that point in time where people are just speculating on price and racing to what they think market will bear. So yeah. it's taking my time. Um, it, it's a, t a point I want to go back and, and touch on, and I'll mention the card there in particular. Um, but it's, it's interesting that you mentioned it's the first time you'll go tall rather than wide. I think this is going to be one of the first sets in maybe five or six years where I will actually order multiple playsets of a single rare or mythic compared to yeah. um, picking up commons and uncommons, which I had before. 
Wilderness yeah. Wreck was the last card I remember going super deep on at yep. uh, at release. And I, I think it's a sign that, you know, you're, the rares are more often slam dunks than the commons and uncommons. Yeah. Because you can tell a rare's power level right away. You can tell Unbound Flourishing from set release is like, well, this is just doubling season white. Why would I? Why, why would not? this card not hit? Yeah. Uh, you may not see that the Talismans are a great pick because of how the Mirrodin Talismans are, but you'll see that Unbound Flourishing. And it's with that lack of certainty here raised a little bit higher, mm-hmm. it definitely makes sense that... You see people going more for the rares and the commons and uncommons now. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. Um, I, I think the the last thing that I changed probably going into somewhere around Akoria, and it, it was just easy to do, and, and we'll remain moving forward. Is I have the time and the ability to actually pay like eighty percent attention to podcasts while working yeah. from home. So I've changed what I listen to from just LR and. Jeez, the EDH rec cast, and I've yeah. opened up to uh, Bash Bros, MTG Grindcast, and Allied Strategies, all of which have either Mythic Championship level players or uh, high-profile Star City players behind them. Yeah. And they, for all of spoiler season, they've been, I think almost every episode has discussed, because just because it's been so um, protracted, Almost yeah. every episode has had something spoiler-related in it, but th- it, it links back to both that uh, a pillar of pros and format specialists. Um, yeah. One of the things, uh, the point I wanted to touch back on, uh, the reason I pick out, I picked out um, format specialists, is because they also do the additional legwork on older formats. So yeah. looking at a card like Fatal Push. From the perspective of somebody who plays older formats, I could tell that was a good card. I needed to get in on it. Obvious. Looking at uh, the card Goblin Snoop from M21, the card that I, I, I will be going tall on, uh, I knew it was good because I play Goblins, and I understand how Goblin Recruiter works and how Food Chain Goblins as an old-school vintage deck work that that card had the possibility to be broken. I did not know how. It took between me seeing that card the release day and like 10 minutes later to get from a format specialist. On turn two, you play Goblin Snoop. On turn three, you play a card that I think we talked about buying into a long time ago, Bogart Harbinger, that tutors a goblin to the top of your library. You put a Kiki-Jiki on top of your library. Goblin Snoop now has the activated ability of Kiki-Jiki, so you just tap Goblin Snoop to make infinite Goblin Snoops, and the yep. last Goblin, the last copy of Goblin Snoop, activates to copy Harbinger. Harbinger then puts either Mog Fanatic, which can sacrifice itself for one damage, or Slate yep. Gang Commander on top, and you just get your opponent. Sick. Yep, get your opponent from there. So this is turn three in modern, modern, and legacy. Yeah. And vintage, if you want, it's a little slow for vintage. But the the other thing I like is that this brought eyes to a lot of interesting cards, and now this can possibly bring back goblins as a, a more played archetype in EDH, using yeah. any number of the either uh, red, black, or junt commanders that kind of fill the gap. So that was 
like I said, bring, setting up that pillar of format specialists got me where I needed to go with that card. Otherwise, I would have just been kind of dirtling for I think it was about maybe a day and a half before I saw yeah, it actually pass through. Yeah, trying to figure through. it out. Yeah, before I saw it pass through Twitter. Yeah. So I checked the price on the card. It was way too high for what I thought it should be, and over time it's been declining. So, like I said, I'll wait and then yeah. we'll move in because I think this is going to be an EDH card over anything else. I don't think this props up a modern for, uh, a modern archetype. It is entirely creature-based, so it gets around Force of Negation, but a single path breaks his combo up on turn three. And for Legacy, you can vial all this stuff in, which is great, but the deck just is more about accruing value over time and get, getting you in the mid to, sh mid to long game than it is going uh, hyper-aggressive and getting you dead by four. So yeah, I think purely EDH, but... And I think it's interesting that Goblin Snoop was a card you went into before Jumpstart, and then Jumpstart released that six-mana Goblin that's just better ringleader, because yes. it puts them all into play. Yeah. Uh, which made Goblins even more viable at that point. So it's it's interesting to see that Goblins is getting this love all of a sudden from Wizards, so... Yeah, I'll, I'll bring that card up. Uh, Muxus, I think is how you pronounce his name. Or his yeah. name, rather. And yeah, convert anything with converted CMC five or less onto the battlefield. Yeah, and that is essentially every decent goblin that you would uh, play. Siege and sling both; those are the only ones that matter. Uh, I mean, yeah, Kiki Jiki, and yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's the only reason I would set a vial past four. Yeah, past one or two. Yeah, yeah. yeah so but. that was all done through yeah through podcasts and format specialists like. That kind of information that uh, those pods that I mentioned provide, yep. and I think it was either last week's episode or this week's uh, Allied Strategies touched on Goblin Snoop. Yeah, so. uh, Tiny Bones has been kind of the thing that a lot of people have been harping on for a CEDH. Is you know two mana mono black. Where can we find a home for it? Yeah, and that's you know similar to Goblins. There's a ton of people that are trying to make this work in CEDH. And regular EDH, because people, I mean, Yargle was a valuable card for the memes. So I can't imagine that something like Tiny Bones isn't going to be valuable for a little bit for the memes. Oh, yeah, 100%. But it's, you know, like like you said, it's important to pay attention to those because you can catch things a little bit early. Yeah. And the more fluid this industry becomes, the more fluid MTG finance becomes... The more important those brief seconds you can get ahead of someone else are worth. Yeah, so. if you were paying attention to those format specialists, you were actually able to get out of the Harbingers like that day for fifteen dollars a piece, and that was a card I think we bought in uh, at quarters on. Yeah, like, it was that really. Good. That yeah, that was that was the initial flashpoint. Was yeah, was that for specking, not on Snoop itself or any, or yeah. any pro yeah, projections? Yeah, but it, it yeah. plays to your point of when you. You know, when you adjust and you laser focus your spoiler season, you keep what you have to in mind in regards to supply chain in, in terms of relevance to uh, sets like this, and then yeah. uh, what's relevant to you as a financier. Like you'll get where you need to go in time. Yeah. So, uh, anything else you want to touch on? Or you want to go straight to picks? Let's head to picks. All right, cool. Uh, I'll go first this week. Sure. So, uh, I chose. The enchantment Vicious Shadows, which is I a, love this card so much. 
I do too, and I just realized today that according to MTG Stocks, it did not have a market value until after IMA. Yep. This card was just not moving at all. And from there, you can see that the uh, average has just climbed over time. And eventually, you know, market caught up. But this is a card that just has consistent demand. And it, it does this really interesting thing that I like. Uh, the first is that it, uh, it effectively is hidden from everywhere. Nobody's yeah. playing this card in EDH, yet there is consistent demand for it over the last three years. So, uh, Vicious Shadows, when I picked it last week, Card Kingdom was buying 15 at about a $1.82 and change for yeah. credit. They are now buying more than that for more than that. Interestingly enough, the number of unique prices on TCG Player has been variable all weekend, plus or minus two from, from 95 total. Yeah. And the market price has gone up by about seven to 10 cents, depending on the day you're looking. So what does this card really do? Well, you just, you discard, sorry, whatever creatures put into graveyard from play, uh, you may have it just shadows, deal damage to target play equal to the number of cards in that player's hand. So you're effectively looking for some kind of sack outlet or some yeah. kind of uh, mono red token generator that sacks something at end of turn. Uh, think Kiki Jiki like we just mentioned. Yeah. Um, and you take a look at Wreck, and you can see effectively, yeah, sure, there's a lot of value here um, in terms of, like, Shattergang Brothers is on here, Parash is on here, but it's just super low population. So yeah, this card is either moving just straight to the invisibles behind the scenes, or this is just beginning to pick up and people aren't really beginning to notice. Now... Yeah. I mentioned this is a sacrifice theme, not a graveyard matters theme, um, or a sack for value list because you're just looking to kill your opponent with this, and it costs seven. It takes a while to get into play, so if this is just being sold to the invisibles that play at the kitchen table, it makes sense because it's like I said, it takes a long time to get there. Yeah. If you're playing at the kitchen table, you're most likely most likely not that competitive, and just killing somebody in time with a seven CMC enchantment, fairly palatable. Sure. Yeah. What I like about this card uh, is actually what was just released for it, and that is uh, Yixris, the teamer general from Commander 20, and it plays into the Wheel of Fortune synergy, which is just whenever an opponent draws a card, except for the first one they draw each turn, you create a 1-1 green snake creature. Okay, so after yeah. you cast Wheel of Fortune, if you have any way to sacrifice any of the snakes you've just made from everybody at that table, you're now just going to dome people around the table and take them out. Uh, yeah. Obosh has been in the list. As I've been scrolling up and down. Vicious Shadows costs seven. It will deal. It will deal double because it deals the damage. Yep. So if not now, it will become a popular card in time as the strategy just kind of builds out and plays. Um, you can do some weird things with looting effects and play like a, a Jeskai version of this, but. I believe the strength is going to be in a teamer-style deck or a Jun-style deck where you have a way to just make a ton of tokens, either with uh, Yixris <clears throat> or something like Avenger of Zendikar, and then just have an easy house to sacrifice those tokens, be it Ashnod's Altar, Phyrexian Altar, uh, anything for value. I really like how well this combos with a prior pick of yours, Blasphemous Act, because... It's it's not just good in your combo engine. Yeah. It's the type of thing that the invisibles, so to speak, 
love just because it's a red enchantment with too much text. And everyone knows how I feel about red enchantments with too much text. <laughs> I think it's great. I have played with this card in multiple decks. I am unashamed to say it. And this card's awesome. Yeah. Uh, I, have, I have never understood how it is as affordable as it is. It only has one printing. And the foils on TCG are the same price as the non-foils on Card Kingdom right now. So that's pretty telling. Yeah. Uh, as far as how visible this card is. Answer, not very. And I, I think that because of that, it's just a really solid all-around pickup. Yeah. Uh, I... It will pop eventually. Yeah, it's there, just a matter of when. Yep, there might have been some trepidation around uh, commander releases, and so that's why if you look at the price graph, it might have plateaued into well, like Modern Horizons and stuff like that. UMA because there's always yeah. the possibility, uh, especially with UMA training out to be like the graveyard set, so to speak. Uh, it might have been in there, and you, like I said, you can see that plateau happen. Uh, but until this gets a reprint, we have three years of price history to show that this card does nothing but go up, and the market is so yeah. high above the average right now, it's just ridiculous. And we know what happens then. Yes. Price goes up. <laughs> Alright. Alright. I am going a little a little bit older here. Uh, still EDH appeal for me. So I went for specifically the Mirage printing of Enlightened Tutor. Uh, which may seem a little bit odd because it is an infinite reprint risk. But if you take a look at the price history, specifically of the Mirage one, you can see that when the Eternal Masters reprint hit, low went from about $10 down to 6 And then what we've seen since then is the floor gradually rise to about $30. So this is the type of thing for me that, and even looking at average, when it hit, it went from a $14 average down to a $10 average. This card, due to its EDH playability, is fairly reprint-proof. It's not... It hasn't quite reached that $100 price tag where Wizards is like, all right, we've got to reprint this right now. Yep. We've got to do something with it to control it. And I think that it's the type of thing that people often forget about because... Yeah, it's like, you know, 10, 20 bucks, but since about halfway through last year, it's been around 20 to 30. And has EDH playability? High visibility? Decent reprint equity, sure, but we may be waiting a little bit. Mm -hmm. Because if we don't get it in Double Masters and we don't get it in Commander Masters, those are pretty much the only targets is supplemental sets for yes, this. this is not going to be... Because they put Idyllic Tutor in Theros. We're not getting this ever in anything but... Uh, supplemental yeah it's it's got to be an eternal only type of deal mm -hmm. additionally as we touched on since supplies are going to be supply chain is going to be kind of an issue with sets coming out as well as print quantities even if it does get reprinted in one of those sets if you look at all the reprints the floor rises every time yes worst case scenario if we end up at a 20 dollars floor on this card when it gets reprinted as long as you're in for $20, which at about 66% is the going vendor rate, you're fine. You're not going to lose out on that. And I think a no-loss proposition is a pretty good spot to be in. Mm -hmm. And when you look at values of the other versions in terms of mid and market, I mean, you're looking at $40 to $50. So it's fairly reprint-proof, absurdly playable, has some eternal play as well. 
Yes. Uh, the Gush lists are making a comeback in Vintage again. And we've got, obviously, Miracles and Enchantress that can run this card as a 1-2 to two of in Legacy. Uh, it sometimes shows up in Shortcake, the red-white yep. uh, Painter's Over Grindstone deck. <laughs> that deck's great. It is. Uh, yeah. That's, it's certainly interesting, and I, I think it's a solid pick because supply has started to dry up again. Yep. Uh, you went from about a week ago when I checked... We were sitting at a Mirage supply of, let me pull up spreadsheet here. Yeah, about 130 listings. And we're down to about 50 right now. Uh, and I don't know if that's arbitrage, because as far as I can tell from what I've seen, we haven't had a whole lot of movement one way or another yep. in terms of stock shifting on MKM, stock shifting on Harari or Dragonstar or anything like that. But it's liquid. It's moving like crazy on Facebook groups still. And... We're not getting any more EMA. Judge promos, who knows? Those aren't exactly being flooded out into the market because European judges can't bring them to GPs to sell to American vendors. So we're sitting pretty pretty steady here at about $30, $35 a piece. Yep. And as long as you can get in for, I'd be comfortable getting in at about 25, 25 and below. Obviously, 20 or below is a little bit better, which mm -hmm. is what I've been trying to get in at. Uh, I don't think there's a way that you lose money on it. I just think it's a really solid card that will always be liquid and will always be at least a $20 bill. Absolutely. I think one of the important parts to remember and I, I is something that could be seen when I brought up this EDH rec page for this. This doesn't just go in white slash X decks. This goes in yeah. mono white decks in EDH. And mono white is notoriously slow and bad. So being yeah. able to just tear through your library for something that you absolutely need, uh, enchantment or artifact, is super important. And that's part of why the market always absorbs supply and uh, part of why it will always remain liquid. Yeah. People love to play either uh, prison-style decks or you could even do some mono-white combo stuff with Heliod. You have to play this card to really get through. And the other thing is in a lot of these mono-white decks, a lot they're isn't a lot of or I'm sorry there aren't a lot of other cards that cost a lot for the deck yeah. which makes spending 30 some dollars uh what is it 35 right now on tcg is what i'm seeing for like 32 yeah. for a light play that that is a lot more palatable when you only have to buy one of those cards as opposed to a number of them yeah so it's not often that you come across something like that in edh but financially it does matter for something like this and that's part yeah. of why it continues to be a very liquid card so. and it's something that as a vendor I'm never mad at seeing because I know how liquid it is and yep. I know I can give a good price on it like you can honestly pay up to 70-75% on this if you really need it and you won't lose money Yeah, because it is so liquid I'll tell you uh, as a vendor or uh, you know out in the world of working for somebody or on my own, the only one of these three tutors that I dislike seeing and will no, ne will never swing on is Mystical. The Vamp yep. and Enlightened always. Mystical, it, yeah. it, it moves, but it also has a lot of different art, a lot of weird printings, and was forever a $6 card because it's yeah. essentially useless anywhere outside EDH. Yeah, so, it and when it gets a reprint, like when Eternal Masters dropped, it'll drop back to $6 and then maybe get absorbed, hopefully. Yeah. It was in the J spell so. book, wasn't it? It was. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's $15. Like, 
because it was a whatever. It's the only one I, I dislike ever taking a swing on, or, yeah. or will pass on compared to the other two because I know I know the other two will move. Yeah. So, uh, I can get behind Enlightened Tutor. You know, any number of copies in per, in perpetuity. Just gobble yeah. them up as, as many as you can find. Um, Mirage the Judge promo, which is also the Mirage art but foil. Yeah. Sixth edition set symbol. Uh, it's it's just a, a a great card and a great example of what happens in a format like EDH for players that are starved for tutors that need specific effects that just rely on a card like this. It yeah. vamp demonic like perfect examples of this. So yeah, it's good. Yeah, but I think that's gonna be it for this week, guys. You can catch us next week where we will talk about whatever topic we post about in our discord uh other than that i am halt i am reptar on tw the twitter birds you are at thirsty sizzler we are at mtg cabalcast on twitter and facebook and patreon we still have our youtube channel kicking so please toss us feedback there as you see fit and then if you're listening Don't need to, to like or sub, just tell us what you want to hear. That's what we really care about. Exactly. Uh, I think we can also take feedback on Apple iTunes. I think that's still an option. And yep. then Spotify, Stitcher. Thanks, guys. See you next week.